0: Chapter 18 of the Epistle of St. Paul to the Romans by Handley Mole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Holiness by the Spirit and the glories that shall follow. Romans 8, 12 to 25. Now the Apostle goes on to develop these noble premises into conclusions. How true to himself and to his inspirer is the line he follows. First come the most practical possible of reminders of duty, then, and in profound connection, the inmost experiences of the regenerate soul, in both its joy and its sorrow, and the most radiant and far-reaching prospects of glory to come. We listen still, always remembering that this letter from Corinth to Rome is to reach us too, by way of the city, He who moved his servant to send it to Aquila and Herodian, had us in mind too, and has now carried out his purpose. It is open in our hands for our faith, love, hope, life, today. St. Paul begins with holiness viewed as duty, as debt. He has led us through our vast treasury of privilege and possession. What are we to do with it? shall we treat it as a museum in which we may occasionally observe the mysteries of new nature and with more or less learning discourse upon them shall we treat it as the unwatchful king of old treated his splendid stores making them his personal boast and so betraying them to the very power which one day was to make them all its spoil no we are to live upon our lord's magnificent bounty to his glory and in his will We are rich, but it is for him. We have his talents, and those talents in respect of his grace, as distinct from his gifts, are not one, nor five, nor ten, but ten thousand, for they are Jesus Christ. But we have them all for him. We are free from the law of sin and of death, but we are in perpetual and delightful debt to him who has freed us, and our debt is to walk with him. So, brethren, we are debtors." thus our new paragraph begins for a moment he turns to say what we owe no debt to even the flesh the self-life but it is plain that his purpose is positive not negative he implies in the whole rich context that we are debtors to the spirit to the lord to walk spirit-wise what a salutary thought it is too often in the christian church the great word holiness has been practically banished to a supposed almost inaccessible background to the steeps of a spiritual ambition to a region where a few might with difficulty climb in the quest men and women who had leisure to be good or perhaps had exceptional instincts for piety god be thanked he has at all times kept many consciences alive to the illusion of such a notion and in our own day more and more his mercy brings it home to his children that this is his will even the sanctification not of some of them but of all far and wide we are reviving to see as the fathers of our faith saw before us that whatever else holiness is it is a sacred and binding debt it is not an ambition it is a duty we are bound every one of us who names the name of christ to be holy to be separate from evil to walk by the spirit alas for the misery of indebtedness when funds fall short whether the unhappy debtor examines his affairs or guiltily ignores their condition he is if his conscience is not dead a haunted man but when an honorable indebtedness concurs with ample means then one of the moral pleasures of life is the punctual scrutiny and discharge he hath it by him, and it is his happiness, as it is assuredly his duty not to say to his neighbor, Go and come again, and tomorrow I will give. Proverbs 3.28. Christian brother, partaker of Christ and of the Spirit, we also owe to him who owns, but it is an indebtedness of the happy type. Once we owed, and there was worse than nothing in the purse. Now we owe, and we have Christ in us by the Holy Ghost, wherewithal to pay. Our eternal neighbor comes to us with no frowning look, and shows us his holy demand. To live to-day a life of truth, of purity, of confession of his name, of unselfish serviceableness, of glad forgiveness, of unbroken patience, of practical sympathy, of the love which seeks not her own. What shall we say? That it is a beautiful ideal, which we should like to realize, and may yet some day seriously attempt? That it is admirable, but impossible? Nay, we are debtors. And he who claims has first immeasurably given. We have his Son for our acceptance and our life. His very Spirit is in us. Are not these good resources for a genuine solvency? Say not, Go and come again, I will pay thee tomorrow. Thou hast it by thee. Holiness is beauty, but it is first duty, practical and present, in Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 12 to verse 13. So then, brethren... Debtors are we not to the flesh with a view to living flesh wise but to the spirit, who is now both our law and our power with a view to living spirit wise. For if you are living flesh wise you are on the way to die, but if by the spirit you are doing to death the practices, the stratagems, the machinations of the body, you will live. Ah, uh, the body is still there and is still a seat and vehicle of temptation. It is for the Lord and the Lord is for it. 1 Corinthians 6.13. It is the temple of the Spirit. Our call is, 1 Corinthians 6.20, to glorify God in it. But all this, from our point of view, passes from realization into mere theory, woefully gainsayed by experience, when we let our acceptance in Christ and our possession in Him of the Almighty Spirit pass out of use into mere phrase. Say what some men will, We are never for an hour here below exempt from the elements and conditions of evil, residing not merely around us but within us. There is no stage of life when we can dispense with the power of the Holy Ghost as our victory and deliverance from the machinations of the body. And the body is no separate and, as it were, minor personality. If the man's body machinates, it is the man who is the sinner. But then, thanks be to God, this fact is not the real burden of the words here what st paul has to say is that the man who has the indwelling spirit has with him in him a divine and all-effectual counteragent to the subtlest of his foes let him do what we saw him above seven seven twenty five neglecting to do let him with conscious purpose and firm recollection of his wonderful position and possession so easily forgotten call up the eternal power which is indeed not himself though in himself let him do this with habitual recollection and simplicity. And he shall be more than conqueror, where he was so miserably defeated. His path shall be as of one who walks over foes who threatened, but who fell, and who die at his feet. It shall be less a struggle than a march, over a battlefield indeed, yet a field of victory so continuous that it shall be as peace. If by the Spirit you are doing them to death, Mark well the words. He says nothing here of things often thought to be of the essence of spiritual remedies, nothing of will, worship, and humility, and unsparing treatment of the body, Colossians 2:23. 23, nothing even of fast and prayer. Sacred and precious is self-discipline, the watchful care that act and habit are true to that temperance which is a vital ingredient in the Spirit's fruit, Galatians 5:22 22, and 23. It is the Lord's own voice matthew twenty six forty one which bids us always watch and pray, praying in the Holy Ghost, jude twenty Yes, but these true exercises of the believing soul are after all only as the covering fence around that central secret, our use by faith of the presence and power of the Holy Ghost given unto us. The Christian who neglects to watch and pray will most surely find that he knows not how to use this his great strength for he will be losing realization of his oneness with his Lord. But then the man who actually, and in the depth of his being, is doing to death the practices of the body, is doing so immediately, not by discipline, nor by direct effort, but by the believing use of the Spirit. Filled with him, he treads upon the power of the enemy, and that fullness is according to surrendering faith. Verse 14 to verse 15. For as many as are led by God's Spirit, these are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to take you back again to fear. No, you received a spirit of adoption to sonship, in which Spirit, surrendered to His holy power, we cry with no bated, hesitating breath, Abba, our Father. His argument runs thus, If you would live indeed, you must do sin to death by the Spirit, and this means in another aspect that you must yield yourselves to be led along by the spirit with that leading which is sure to conduct you always away from self and into the will of god you must welcome the indweller to have his holy way with your springs of thought and will so and so only will you truly answer the idea the description sons of god that glorious term never to be satisfied by the relation of mere creaturehood or by that of merely exterior sanctification mere membership in a community of men though it be the visible church itself But if you so meet sin by the Spirit, if you are so led by the Spirit, you do show yourselves nothing less than God's own sons. He has called you to nothing lower than sonship, to vital connection with a divine Father's life, and to the eternal embraces of His love. For when He gave and you received the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of promise, who reveals Christ and joins you to Him, what did that Spirit do in His heavenly operation? Did he lead you back to the old position in which you shrunk from God, as from a master who bound you against your will? No, he showed you that in the only Son you are nothing less than sons, welcomed into the inmost home of eternal life and love. You found yourselves indescribably near the Father's heart, because accepted and new created in his own beloved. And so you learnt the happy, confident call of the child, Father, O Father, our Father, Abba. So it was, and so it is. The living member of Christ is nothing less than the dear child of God. He is other things besides. He is disciple, follower, bondservant. He never ceases to be bondservant, though here he is expressly told that he has received no spirit of slavery. So far as slavery means service forced against the will, he has done with this in Christ. But so far as it means service rendered by one who is his master's absolute property, he has entered into its depths forever. Yet all this is exterior, as it were, to that inmost fact that he is, in a sense ultimate, and which alone really fulfills the word, the child, the son of God. He is dearer than he can know to his father. He is more welcome than he can ever realize to take his father at his word, and lean upon his heart, and tell him all. Verse 16. THE SPIRIT ITSELF BEARS WITNESS WITH OUR SPIRIT THAT WE ARE GOD'S CHILDREN, BORN CHILDREN, tekna THE HOLY ONE, ON HIS PART, MAKES THE ONCE COLD, RELUCTANT, APPREHENSIVE HEART KNOW AND BELIEVE THE LOVE OF GOD. HE SHEDS ABROAD GOD'S LOVE IN IT. HE BRINGS HOME TO CONSCIOUSNESS AND INSIGHT THE SOBER CERTAINTY OF THE PROMISES OF THE WORD, THAT WORD THROUGH WHICH, ABOVE ALL OTHER MEANS, HE SPEAKS. He shows to the man the things of Christ, the beloved in whom he has the adoption and the regeneration, making him see, as souls see, what a paternal welcome there must be for those who are in him. And then, on the other part, the believer meets spirit with spirit. He responds to the revealed paternal smile, with not merely a subject's loyalty, but a son's deep love, deep, reverent, tender, genuine love. Doubtless thou art his own child, says the Spirit. Doubtless he is my Father, says our wondering, believing, seeing Spirit in response. Verse 17. But if children then also heirs, God's heirs, Christ's co-heirs, possessors in prospect of our Father's heaven, towards which the whole argument now gravitates, in union of interest and life with our firstborn brother, in whom lies our right, from one hand a gift infinitely merciful and surprising that unseen bliss will be from another the lawful portion of the lawful child one with the beloved of the father such heirs we are if indeed we share his sufferings those deep but hallowed pains which will surely come to us as we live in and for him in a fallen world that we may also share his glory for which that path of sorrow is not indeed the meriting but the capacitating preparation Amidst the truths of life and love, of the Son, of the Spirit, of the Father, he thus throws in the truth of pain. Let us not forget it. In one form or another, it is for all the children. Not all are martyrs, not all are exiles or captives, not all are called as a fact to meet open insults in a defiant world of paganism or unbelief. Many are still so called, as many were at first, and as many will be to the end, for the world is no more now than it ever was in love with God, and with his children as such. But even for those whose path is not by themselves but the Lord, most protected, there must be suffering, somehow, sooner, later, in this present life if they are really living the life of the Spirit, the life of the child of God, paying the debt of daily holiness, even in its humblest and gentlest forms. We must observe, by the way, that it is to such sufferings and not to sorrows in general that the reference lies here. The Lord's heart is open for all the griefs of His people, and He can use them all for their blessing and for His ends, but the suffering with Him must imply a pain due to our union, It must be involved in our being his members used by the head for his work. It must be the hurt of his hand or foot in subserving his sovereign thought. What will the bliss be of the corresponding sequel? That we may share his glory, not merely be glorified, but share his glory, a splendour of life, joy, and power, whose eternal law and soul will be union with him who died for us and rose again. Verse eighteen to verse nineteen. Now, towards that prospect St. Paul's whole thought sets, as the waters set towards the moon, and the mention of that glory after suffering draws him to a sight of the mighty plurity of the glory. For I reckon, I calculate, word of sublimest prose, more moving here than any poetry, because it bids us handle the hope of glory as a fact, that not worthy of mention are the sufferings of the present season, Keru not crono. He thinks of time not in its length, but in its limit. In view of the glory about to be unveiled upon us, unveiled and then heaped upon us in its golden fullness, for he is going to give us a deep reason for his calculation, wonderful characteristic of the gospel, it is that the final glory of the saints will be a crisis of mysterious blessing for the whole created universe in ways absolutely unknown certainly as regards anything said in this passage but none the less divinely fit and sure the ultimate and eternal manifestation of christ mystical the perfect head with his perfected members will be the occasion and in some sense too the cause the mediating cause of the emancipation of nature in its heights and depths from the cancer of decay and its entrance on an endless aeon of indissoluble life and splendor Doubtless that goal shall be reached through long processes and intense crises of strife and death. Nature, like the saint, may need to pass to glory through a tomb, but the issue will indeed be glory when he who is the head at once of nature, of the heavenly nations, and of redeemed man, shall bid the vast periods of conflict and dissolution cease in the hour of eternal purpose, and shall manifestly be what he is to the mighty total with such a prospect natural philosophy has nothing to do its own laws of observation and tabulation forbid it to make a single affirmation of what the universe shall be or shall not be under new and unknown conditions revelation with no arbitrary voice but as the authorized while reserved messenger of the maker standing by the open grave of the resurrection announces that there are to be profoundly new conditions and that they bear a relation inscrutable but necessary to the coming glorification of christ and his church and what we now see and feel as the imperfections and shocks and seeming failures of the universe so we learn from this voice a voice so quiet yet so triumphant are only as it were the throes of birth in which nature, impersonal indeed, but so to speak animated by the thinking of the intelligent orders who are a part of her universal being, preludes her wonderful future. Verse 19 to verse 23. For the longing outlook of the creation is expecting the unveiling of the sons of God. For to vanity, to evil, to failure and decay, the creation was subjected, not willingly but because of him who made it subject, its lord and sustainer, who in his inscrutable but holy will bade physical evil correspond to the moral evil of his conscious fallen creatures, angels or men. So that there is a deeper connection that we can yet analyze between sin, the primal and central evil, and everything that is really wreck or pain. But this subjection, under his fiat was in hope because the creation itself shall be liberated from the slavery of corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of god the freedom brought in for it by their eternal liberation from the last relics of the fall for we know by observation of natural evil in the light of the promises that the whole creation is uttering a common groan of burden and yearning and suffering a common birth-pang even till now, when the gospel has heralded the coming glory. Nor only so, but even the actual possessors of the first fruits of the Spirit, possessors of that presence of the Holy One in them now, which is the sure pledge of His eternal fullness yet to come, even we ourselves, richly blessed as we are in our wonderful spirit life, yet in ourselves are groaning, burdened still with mortal conditions pregnant of temptation, lying not around us only, but deep within expecting adoption full in statement into the fruition of the sonship which already is ours even the redemption of our body from the coming glories of the universe he returns in the consciousness of an inspired but human heart to the present discipline and burden of the christian let us observe the noble candour of the words this groan interposed in the midst of such a song of the spirit and of glory he has no ambition to pose as the possessor of an impossible experience. He is more than conqueror, but he is conscious of his foes. The Holy Ghost is in him. He does the body's practices victoriously to death by the Holy Ghost. But the body is there, as the seat and vehicle of manifold temptation. And though there is a joy in victory which can sometimes make even the presence of temptation seem all joy, James 1 2. He knows that something far better is yet to come. His longing is not merely for a personal victory, but for an eternally unhindered service. That will not fully be his till his whole being is actually, as well as in covenant, redeemed. That will not be till not the spirit only, but the body, is delivered from the last dark traces of the fall in the resurrection hour. Verse 24 to verse 25. For it is as to our hope that we were saved when the Lord laid hold of us, we were indeed saved, but with a salvation which was only in part actual. Its total was not to be realized till the whole being was in actual salvation. Such salvation, see below 811, was coincident in prospect with the hope, that blessed hope, the Lord's return and the resurrection glory. So, to paraphrase this clause, it was in the sense of the hope that we were saved. But a hope in sight is not a hope. For what a man sees, why does he hope for? Hope, in that case, has in its nature expired in possession, and our full salvation is a hope. It is bound up with a promise, not yet fulfilled. Therefore, in its nature, it is still unseen, still unattained. But then it is certain, it is infinitely valid, it is worth any waiting for. But if, for what we do not see, we do hope, looking on good grounds for the sunrise in the dark east with patience we expect it with patience literally through patience the upomones, the patience as it were the means the secret of the waiting patience that noble word of the new testament vocabulary the saint's active submission submissive action beneath the will of god it is no nerveless motionless prostration it is the going on and upward step by step As the man waits upon the Lord, and walks and does not faint. End of chapter 18